This is the Bob Cowan Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app. Today, we are at the NHL Alumni Golf Tournament at Coppinwood Golf Course, and I am thrilled to be joined by Stanley Cup champion. I mean, did you start any games in 94, oh, Glenn stop Haley? Stop it. And thrilled is a bunch thrilled. of Thrilled. I'm thrilled to have you here. Oh, well, no. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Johnny, with you, my gosh, we go way back. Well, you know, McCowan's not yeah. here. McCowan's still on the IR, so we're we're yeah. we're running the show like two former TV guys. Well, and you know what? I got my start in TV with you. Yes, you did. Yeah, you called me. Uh, said, "Would you like to work for Hockey Night Canada?" I was. Well, that's not you. that's not necessarily accurate. I'm uh, I'm standing outside the Maple Leaf Room. Oh, you're going to be accurate now. You know, oh, well, there's a start. <laughs> this is new. <laughs> well, this is the accuracy. Between you and me, I think there's a level of accuracy. Okay. So just folks, just to understand, I'm standing outside the Maple Leaf dressing room, training camp 1996. Is that right? Might have been 1886. Yeah. uh, Okay. 1996. And the Leafs are coming off after the morning skate. And the second goalie walks right up to me, off the mats, walks right up to me. He says, you're John Shannon, aren't you? Yeah. He says, I was told to talk to you to get into the TV business. And you got me in. <laughs> and the first show I did, <laughs> I had the earpiece in. Yes, you did. Ron McLean beside me. And here's the words of wisdom you said to me. Yes, you, you can swear on this podcast. Sit the f*** up. Okay. <laughs> oh, so that's how you do TV. <laughs> that's right. Just sit up. Okay. Okay, now I'm sitting up and I have nothing to say. And then <laughs> you were there when, you, when I got fired. So you were there... You know, with the first marriage, and, and you you were yeah. kind, you were kind enough to come come with us to Leafs TV. Yeah, I loved it. I I opened up Leafs TV. I bagpipe. That's right. The building when it opened. It yeah. was the start of a great adventure. But <laughs> <laughs> they subsequently closed down. You have a ticket for the Titanic, sir. <laughs> That's right. Okay, seriously, we are here at uh, your golf tournament, the alumni yeah, golf tournament. Not mine. But Why? Yeah. Uh, and what what's the purpose of today? Well, I I think you've got. Look at all the partners have come together. The NHL, the NHLPA, the Hockey Hall of Fame, all the guys that have won the trophies, all the guys that have paved the way uh, for me to drive on the roads that they paved. Uh, legacy of player from the guys who played in the '60s, '70s, '80s, the guys I was teammates with. It's it's just a celebration of our game with our partners, and we're raising money for all the right causes. We did a goals and dreams uh, equipment drop today for some people that can't afford to play this great sport under Brian Marchman's name, who rest in peace, we sadly miss. And so it's just a collection of all of hockey to come together to do the right thing and to make tomorrow better than today, not for just the players, but for the people in all of our communities that need a little bit of something, a little bit of hope and help. And we provide that with, uh, again, a bunch of NHL guys, a great golf course. We got the weather. And of course, some great food, libation, and good people. And that's what's most important. You 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 mentioned that the NHLPA and the NHL and now the alumni are actually working together. Huh. Yes. <laughs> what a novel idea. <laughs> Amazing. You know, the one thing I'll, I'll say about players, uh, I can guarantee one thing. You are going to be retired at some point. So if you're a current player, like a Mason Marchman, sure, you are going to be me. Now, maybe you won't look like me and COVID hasn't been kind, but you will be me. And so 
the better that we do helping players transition, their families, their spouses, the better off as a community we're going to be. So that's what we do every day is work for all the players and their spouses to make it. So explain life after hockey. What the what should a what should the fan know, and b what should the player know about life after hockey? Well, it's not all doom and gloom. It is a uh, you've had a great career. The problem you have is that you have a a short career and a long life, mm-hmm. and that short career and long life sometimes they don't mesh together. And at twenty seven and twenty eight, you're given a pink slip, and then you may at that point um, be forced to do something again for the rest of your life. You don't know what that is. And so we'll help you figure out what that is. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for the invite to come yeah. out. Johnny, you're welcome. Anytime. Uh, if you don't do a good enough job this year, uh, we'll get someone else. <laughs> you know, I think Elliot Friedman's on the course. Uh, Steve Cooley. No, we didn't invite him. No, we've got lots. So you better you better be damn good today. Bring your A game. And you got a great guest coming up. And a bunch of hardware in front of you that he won. See, I didn't even have to talk and you filled six minutes. I know. It's amazing what I can do in six <laughs> minutes. By the way, the last time Glenn and I worked together was the Beijing yeah. Olympics. Yeah. Stole the show. It's amazing. Players, I don't even know who they are. In a sport, well, I don't even know any of the just rules. Just a minute. I think you got the uh, you got one kid drafted second overall, hey, didn't so you? Or first overall. Yeah, yeah. Slavkowski. <laughs> and the only reason I picked him as a great player, it's because he had braces. And it was from, like, Slovakia. <laughs> who has braces from Slovakia? I don't even think they have dentists. Thanks for this, man. Johnny, anytime. Glenn Healy, NHL alumni, back after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers sports and casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast from the NHL Alumni Tournament at Coppinwood Golf Course. Joined now by NHLPA Executive Matthew Snyder. Matthew, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, what does this tournament mean to you? What, is it, what does the alumni mean to you when you consider that, A, you work for the PA, but you're also a member of this association? Yeah, you know, it's been, a, uh, I guess, over the course of my executive career since I've come to the Players Association, we've had, uh, I would say, started out as a rocky relationship. I'm very proud of where we are today. Uh, Heels and I, obviously, teammates back in the day, but um, we've worked really hard to build on the relationship because, you know, in, in my opinion, and, and I think uh, a lot of people in our organization, I know certainly with the alumni feel that um, we need to be working together, uh, make lives better for players when they retire. Every single one of our guys is going to end up being an alumni. That, that, that is actually a, a simple message that um, your shelf life as an NHL player is finite. Yeah but you will be an alumni for the rest of your life. 
Absolutely. How, how do you communicate that to you, to your constituents? Yeah. You know, listen, when, you, when you're playing, when you're in it, uh, that's your focus and it should be, and it needs to be. But, uh, you know, a lot of us that have had the, the fortune of playing a long time in this league uh, understand that, uh, you know, no matter, no matter how great a career you have, you play 10, 15, 20 years, even you still have a lot of living to do after. And, um, you know, I, I think, I, I'm extremely proud of uh, what Glenn's been able to do uh, over the last several years. He's really built an organization that I think is uh, extremely valuable to any player that plays in the league. And you know, I, I think, as you know, the average career length is still under five years for an NHL player. And uh, this, this organization, uh, I think, can become uh, bigger, more important, and certainly – uh, we we can work together to to make uh, make it a meaningful organization for players for years, years and years to come. Now you have a uh, new working associate, uh, the former Secretary of Labor in the Biden administration. Yeah. Do you sit and talk politics with Marty Walsh? You know, I uh, I've had the opportunity a couple times. There's no question about it. He's a lot more knowledgeable than I am. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just uh, you know, it, it's uh, Marty brings something new and fresh to the organization that. Uh, that we've never had before um, knows an awful lot of people uh, in North America and, and around the world. And I think, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's off to a good start. He's been meeting a lot of players as many as he can. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to really start to roll up our sleeves and get into it over the next couple of months. How would you, what, what, what's your message to your, your constituents again uh, about what Marty brings to this situation? Well, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, his experience as a labor leader, uh, is, uh, you, you can't question. And uh, and then his experience as a leader as mayor of Boston. Um, I, I think in the end, the relationship between the players and our organization that has to be one of ultimate trust. Because as you know, as we mentioned uh, two minutes ago, uh, the, the players are focused on planning. <laughs> And it's up to us to make sure that they're educated, they're engaged, uh, and, and they're a part of, a uh, big part of uh, decision-making process and the different areas that we might want to pursue. But uh, there's no question that Marty's been able to, uh, it brings, brings that aspect, uh, you know, from his, his previous career. I'm sure he's got more questions than answers right now, right? You know, he's, he's uh, been doing an awful lot of listening, and I think that's a great quality that Marty has. So, um, I, I, you know, it's uh, it's real early, and, uh, and we've been really doing our best to get Marty up to speed, and I think he's done a tremendous job. Uh, I, every single day, you know, he's he seems to be on the road and working. But uh, there have been a lot of things uh, over the last uh, three or four months that Marty's been able to see firsthand, roll up his sleeves, and dive in. Uh, where, where, do, where do the Olympics fit for you now? I know you and I have talked about this a few times on other shows, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how important they are in 2026 to be in Italy. Is that a high priority? Absolutely. It is a very big priority. And I think that uh, it's no secret, you know, it's no secret that players want to be there. Um, you know, we've had our challenges with the IOC and IIHF in the past. Unfortunately, in Beijing, uh, due to COVID, we weren't able to, we weren't able to go. Looking back, could it have happened? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I, when you, when you look at where we are uh, with the landscape and revenue and the, the debt that we've been repaying, 
we we would have lost we would have definitely lost the number of games that season unless we were willing to drag the season out longer but uh it was it was just unfortunate that we got hit with a second wave of the virus and um you know that really threw a monkey wrench because trust me we were all trying to figure out how we could go but at a certain point we were just canceling so many games it, it just and we didn't know what the future of that season was gonna was gonna was gonna bring either so it made it a very difficult decision but one that i think looking back was the right one so how so what are the hurdles for italy uh well you know, I, I think uh, one of the things is going to be the, the arena itself. Mm. I know they're they're behind in building arena. But, uh, you know, in, in the end, you know, I, I think we're in lockstep with the league in the sense that we want to be able to market and promote the fact that our guys are over there. We want to be able to take advantage of having the best players in the world playing on one of the biggest stages. And so, you know, that's one of the abilities that the World Cup of Hockey affords us. And that's another tournament that we're very adamant about uh, bringing back and making sure that we build that property uh, because there have been mistakes made in the past. And it is unfortunate that we haven't continued from 2016. Um, but at the same time, I think at this point, we're all committed to uh, having world, regular World Cup of Hockey, being at the Olympics and having regular uh, best on best tournaments. In the, in the World Cup, um... Are you, are you convinced what time of year it should be at? Are we still talking February? Or do you think it's September? We're uh, we're definitely on the same page with the league at this point where we want it to be in February. I think that's the ideal spot, same as the Olympics. Uh, we, own, we own sport, we own hockey uh, at that time of year. We're not competing against the NFL, baseball, other sports. So it is important for us to have that tournament in February. Before we let you go, because I, I, I want to talk to you about, I mean, you're an alumni. I want to talk to you about your career. Um, but the biggest concern from a from an HRR perspective would have to be what's going on in Arizona for the players. Yeah. How, how active in this process are you when you look and say, this is, you know, this franchise, not this market, but this franchise should be generating more money uh, into HRR. Well, it's definitely an issue. It's been an issue for 30 years. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of the challenges that I think players have a really hard time wrapping their head around why uh, you keep trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Um, that being said, we do have some protection on hockey revenue on on the downside. Um, you know, but but in the end, we're fairly limited in the uh, the amount of power that we have to influence the situation. And uh, what we need to do is make sure that the players there are being treated as as uh, as good as uh, as good as they can be treated, and they feel like they're they're uh, part of the NHL. And so, you know, that's that's one of the bigger challenges that we face. But um, we we are fairly limited in what we can do. All right, let's talk about you. Um... You know, there's lots of people that are that listen to the show on a daily basis that uh, remember Matthew Schneider as a New York Ranger, as a Montreal Canadian, as a Toronto Maple Leaf, as a Los Angeles King. Did I miss anybody? Oh, Detroit. You missed a few. I played on ten teams. <laughs> wow. I on ten teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there a difference playing in a in a U.S. city than a Canadian city? There is absolutely. Uh, you know, I I uh, I look at. I guess I would, you know, New York, Detroit, L.A. Uh, were the, the three markets that uh, I would say were, you know, when I was playing there, they were, uh, and, and, you know, still to this day, obviously, 
great markets, had some really good teams in LA and, and Detroit in particular. Uh, you know, the one thing that I, I used to say, I'd leave the, leave the rink in any one of those cities. Uh, you walk out, there's a bunch of people there looking for autographs, things like that. You, you walk a couple blocks away and nobody knows who you are. You can kind of disappear into the crowd. When you're playing in a Canadian city, you're in the middle of, you're, you're in the spotlight. You're constantly under that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, under the spotlight that, you know, you're, you're aware of it all the time, going out for dinner with your wife, with your kids, kids are playing, you know, different sports when you have families growing up. So, uh, it, it's a, it's a different experience. I wouldn't say I like one more than the other, but it's a different experience. So, um, do you see, the, and I'd be, because I, I want to get back to your career, but you, you've tweaked me to a, a question about, you know, there's always concerns. And, you know, we Canadians, we're, we're a little, we're, we're thin skinned when yeah. it comes to players coming and playing in Canada. And now you see what's going on in Winnipeg, you see what's going on in Calgary. And, and people get a little paranoid that they don't want to play in Canada. Yeah. Um, is, is that is that a fair assessment, or is that just is it just sign of the times? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think there's a combination of things, you know, potentially there, where you know it's uh, you know the Canadian tax rate is certainly higher than than uh, a lot of cities that you have in the U.S. and and I think that plays a factor, especially when you have free agents. Um, you know, the, the other thing is, is that spotlight and the pressure day in and day out. It's very difficult it's to avoid. Right? It is. It is. And, and um, you know, I, I and on one hand, being able to play my first year in Montreal was, uh, it was a blessing because I was very naive when I came in, and then, you know, five years. And I thought, oh, this is what it's like to play in the NHL. And then I got traded to the Islanders and no one really knew who we were when I got down there. And you're living in a different world. You could go, you know, you could have uh, five or 10 games where you're not playing great and it would fly under the radar. Maybe not with Mike Milbury at the time, but it would fly under the radar. You're going to tell Mike that. Okay? <laughs> yeah, he's probably got a couple of thoughts on me in particular. But, um, but you know, that's, that's the difference. The pressure day in and day out, especially – in a city like Montreal or a city like Toronto. And I kind of joke about it now. We just hit the 30 year mark for the anniversary here, but you know, at the time in Montreal, it was the longest stretch that the Canadians had gone without winning a Stanley cup and the fans were getting really antsy and it was seven years at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, 86 to 93. Yeah, in in yeah. the end, that ended up being yeah. so. <laughs> favorite coach. Uh, whew. I, I, I'm going to go with two, Jacques Demers and uh, Dave Lewis. Really? Yeah. So you know, what did they bring to the what, – what, what, I mean, I can see both of them were a little more easygoing than others. They were. They were. And, and, and I think you might know I didn't get along with a lot of my coaches. <laughs> <laughs> but those two, those two in particular I did. But, you know, Dave as a defenseman, I thought, uh, as a former defenseman, um, you know, from, from the time I got there – we just hit it off, and I just loved playing for Dave. He was just an amazing person and an amazing coach. And a favorite arena? Uh, Montreal Forum, the yeah. old Montreal Forum, uh, Chicago Stadium. Now, I think I played in Chicago. Uh, the, oh, it was the second year of my career because I missed it my first year. And uh, the chills going up and down your spine when they're playing the national anthem is just amazing. But those, those two were my two favorites. Thanks for this. Matthew Schneider. Thank you, John. Joined now by Gary Lehman. Now, do you, do you identify yourself as a Toronto Maple Leaf or a Calgary Flame? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Well, born and raised in Toronto, drank the Kool-Aid when I was in my crib. 
um, and played most of my career in Toronto. So, uh, but you know, um, you know, kind of sticking my neck out here. I also had the uh, the privilege of playing in other Canadian cities, and, and uh, Calgary didn't work out for me, but uh, Montreal certainly did. And, yeah. And uh, then I had a cup of coffee in Vancouver. Uh, and uh, then, you know, people always ask the question, you know, where's the, the best place to play? And I, I really believe there's only two places to play. So that would be Toronto and Montreal. Yeah. There's a passion for the game. Absolutely. And there, I think tough. it's funny. I, I always talk about how passionate Montreal fans are. And, and, and I, I say this respectfully about Leaf fans, but knowledgeable Montreal fans are. Yeah, I, and I it's it's a great question. Or it wasn't a question, but I'll turn it into a question. Please. For you. <laughs> My first game uh, at home with Montreal was was I believe with against Tampa, and Tampa was they were new in the league, and you know we were supposed to beat them, and we were actually winning one nothing after the first period in the form, and we got booed going off the ice, and I went, these people know what they're yeah. they're watching, so. I uh, got an early appreciation for the, their knowledge, and, and uh, um, it, it it keeps you it keeps you honest, which is a good thing. I mean, it's great to have them always cheering for you, but sometimes you need that. You're uh, you're probably known as a, a play a fifty goal scorer. You're known on the Hound line more than anything. Is that, were those the two things that when people come up and say hello to you, they they talk about? Yeah, I guess they're the, the two things that are perpetuated. Yeah. Um, not bad know. things. No, no, no. I'm not uh, – if, <laughs> if I sounded negative, I didn't mean to. I, I, I just um, – you know, I was drafted as a defenseman just coming to the Western Hockey League. And uh, I I succeeded. I was voted the top defenseman in, in the WHL here. And, you know, I'd only played one year of defense before that in my life. And uh, – my second year at Notre Dame, right, and I really had a passion for it. I, I really wanted to play um, defense. And the Leafs at the time had drafted some young defensemen before me that maybe weren't ready. And I think they so that would like Nylon and Boimstruck and Bob McGill and Jimmy Benning, right? Jim Benning, wow! How come you look better than I know Jim well? You look better oh, than Jim. You're in better that. shape than Jim. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jim. Jim uh, Jim was a, a, a great teammate and um, and went on to do some pretty good things sure in, in management. Yeah, good on him. Uh, but, yeah, at that time, I think just, you know, the fact that I went the day I was drafted, I, I was told to stay away from the draft because I had broken my jaw at the end of the playoffs and I was down to 159 pounds. So my agent, This is your agent? Who's your agent? It was Ricky Kern at oh. the time. <laughs> so he asked me to uh, – Tell him how I was doing. Um, he says, "How are you feeling?" I said, "Oh, not too bad because it was wired, <laughs> wired shut." And he goes, "How's your weight?" I said, uh, "159." He says, "Do not come to the draft." <laughs> so, um, anyhow, I had put the weight back on by by the time camp came around. It was 172 pounds. Right. Wow. And you know, playing against some monsters. You know, playing against, against men, 50, right? 50, yeah. 40, 50 pounds heavier. And you're so. you're an, eight, you're an 18 year old or a 19 year old? Yeah. Um, well, my first camp was 18. Wow. And Dan Maloney was pretty much running the camp, and he had just retired. And you know, maybe 
the heavyweight champ for a while in the, in the league, and I, I think he was probably looking at me going, if you and I were in front of the net together, I'd toss you around. Right. You know what I mean? And I think he had a lot of say at the time, even though he was the assistant coach. Right. Uh, but then, um, you know, I had it in my mind that, and I kind of felt like that was the, what was happening because the GM wanted me to play. Right. Jerry McNamara drafted me, he wanted me to play. And, uh, but in my mind, I'm thinking if we we're in front of the net together, you'd never touch the puck. You know? So <laughs> that's how you got to. Um, that's how you got to. So, so you, so they put you back as a forward. Um, and then, you know, in, later on, it was you and Russ and Wendell. Uh, that was the, that was the hound line that, uh, right. That became yeah, famous here. Yeah. But they, they didn't put, they didn't give me a permanent spot until, and I played mostly defense, like one or two shifts a game. And then they'd maybe throw me up front for a shift. But it wasn't until John Brophy became the head coach and he came to me at training camp. I believe it was my fourth camp, the third year. And he said, if I make you a right winger, can you get, can you get me 20 goals? And I, and I, and I said, if you have to play me, <laughs> you know, I was just sick and tired of just, you know, yeah. because the other 30 games, they dressed me for 50. So I was vested for pension. Right. And they were doing that as, you know, as a, as a, you know, a, a nice thing, but I wasn't learning too much sitting in the press box. No. And they'd just go watch the press box. How hard was it playing, playing Trump? At that time, it was, it was the most dysfunctional thing you ever saw. Yeah. You know, I, I played, I had nine head coaches, eight and a half years, four GMs, two owners. And, it, you know, just watch the, the ballad documentary and that'll, that'll tell you a lot about what it was like at that time. And, uh, you know, there was no, um, when you have an owner that's, that's, um, he's, he's hiring the GM and the coach. That we always saw this, right? And it was not good for young guys like myself because the older players would learn, you know, to kind of protect their own butts, and and uh, we saw that as, uh, you know, young players, you know, when we're looking to the to the veterans for leadership. And yet there was something magic about playing at Maple Gardens. Yeah, it was the, the shrine, you know, uh, great history, obviously, uh, and you know, for a guy like myself who had left. Toronto at 15 to go to Notre Dame and, and then stay out west in the Western Hockey League. I was away for four years. I didn't understand how bad it was. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to, 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 to go back home. Right. So early and, you know, you lose touch with your family and friends. And it was like, this was great, you know, getting drafted by Toronto. But then, you know, you look at it from the business point of view and it really wasn't. So I was lucky enough to see the two, the polar opposites in Toronto, and then having a great in Montreal, where you know we, we went the whole way and we lost a couple of games. Yeah, it the I've asked uh, lots of guys this question today. So, your favorite coach? Probably Jacques Demers. He was a positive guy. He was a guy I really uh, I needed. Mm -hmm. uh, all I'd seen were you know the, the yellers and the screamers and. and uh, Montreal taught you how to win the cup. That's why I said, like I said, and you know, watching a guy like for me, watching a guy like Guy Carbonell, who had done it before, I learned in my tenth year what I should have learned earlier in my career.
that actually that that's a really good point we you know this day and age when you're a teenager you end up becoming a pro expectation both externally and internally is so high you know you, you expect to be there your the fans expect you to be there the hype is there how, how do you manage that or do you um well it might be different for players now but i think back then depending on if you were lucky enough to be drafted to the the Islanders or the Oilers at that time. There were you know <laughs> two dynasties at that one at one point. Um, I would have I was lucky enough to, to play a lot of alumni hockey with guys like Brian Shaw. Sure, sure. Like I just couldn't imagine how great it would have been to learn that guy. Yeah. We didn't have that No. We had we had a great leader in Boria Salmi, but Boria didn't take the C for a reason. He didn't want this with the owner, you know, and uh, who loved him. I'm surprised he wasn't, you know, I was disappointed, but then you understand the politics and the crap. So it's, you know, for, for players coming in, um, that's why you, you try to look for the best situation. If you got a good situation going on, I'd say do your best to stay there, you know, instead of going for the, you know, the bigger money or something. Because that'll come back and bite you in the butt sometimes. Favorite arena? Chicago Stadium. Yeah. yeah Not was, the forum. Well, the forum was very well. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the ultimate happened there. And right. It was amazing. Um, but every time I went into Chicago Stadium, my hair stood up. It was just that. Remember John Anderson? John Anderson saying to me before the first, just before they were going to sing the national. First game, turn and says, "Listen, kid, it's gonna get a little loud in here." And they started the anthem, and I turned to say something. Makes sense. I can't. Hear you. No. you couldn't hear. You could. You could be this far apart and and scream, and, and it was so loud. It just and it was that atmosphere. The rest of the game. Yeah. It, there was something magic to it. It's funny. The old buildings, you know, we we all know what technology brings, and we all know that. You know, dressing rooms and locker rooms need to be bigger, weight rooms, medical rooms. But there is something magic about those six buildings, you know, when you think about I'm not maybe maybe five, because you were you weren't old enough to play at the Olympia, but the Olympia but Chicago and Boston. Boston was nuts. Yeah. I wasn't and small. Yeah, I, I didn't like the small ring. Yeah. Didn't like it at all. It was an advantage to them too. Yeah, well they, and, they had set plays they you know Right off the face off, they went back to Bork and he fired off the other So here we are with Gary Lehman at the alumni tournament. It's, what's this organization mean to you? Oh, I think it's um, I think it, it it means an awful lot to everybody. You know, depending on um, the initiatives, are always good. Uh, helping people is, is is you know here we are I'm almost sixty, and uh, which you can't believe, uh, but. You know, it's not about us anymore. It's about others. And for the longest time, it was about us. And it's just great, that feeling that you're, you're supporting something. And it's all good stuff. And what do you do now? To who? Oh. <laughs> no. The, I, um... People want, you know, the, the word, life after hockey is important yeah. now, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of semi-retired. I, I live up in the scope and enjoy it. Enjoy uh, getting up whenever I want, and doing wow. whatever. So um, I've had the luxury for a few years, and uh, I feel like I've 
I've earned the, um, you know, the, the, the ability to not be on a schedule because when you're playing hockey, you're on that schedule. Like your body knows exactly what. Bus leaves in 15, man. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, on it or under it. Gary, thank you for this. My pleasure, John. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Gary Lehman, we're at the Take NHL care. Alumni Golf Tournament in Coppinwood Golf Course. The McCowan Podcast continues after this. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast from the NHL Alumni Tournament. Joined now by New York Ranger, Adam Graves. Adam, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. What a beautiful day, too. Yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've talked to a couple of guys already about what the alumni means. What what does this organization mean to you? It's family. I say that you, uh, it connects all the different generations of players. For us uh, that played in, in the 90s, you know, you see uh, the Mahogaches and some of the, the, the people that played before you. Uh, in fact, yesterday I spent some time with the Capitals, a hero of mine and our friend. He was, he was one of my heroes, too. You know, oh. I love the Rangers. I love the Rangers of the late 60s, early 70s. That was my team. Oh, unbelievable. And just, but just such gentlemen and, and uh, senses of humor, but you're just connected. And it doesn't matter. You can, you can talk about whether it's uh, Dougie uh, Killer. You played against. I played against him for close to two decades. But we're best buddies. You, know, you see each other, and there's just such a respect. It's it's a gift being out here and then uh, having uh, people that support our alumni association. Certainly, the leadership of Fields and the whole gang of the, the, the uh, alumni association with the support, obviously, of the PA and the NHL. So it, it's something that uh, I talked to Glenn about right off the top of the show. Is that uh, it appears finally that the three groups, the Players Association, the NHL itself, and this group are finally working in concert. And that, that must be some sort of a relief for somebody like you. Well, I think so. And certainly right. for, without question. I think when you look at uh, starts with leadership, and Glenn, who I've been best buddies with since our late teens, played in Pravda Cup in Russia <laughs> back uh, when I think I was 16 years old. Wow. If he was making fun of me back then, still does. Uh, and uh, he was playing at Western Michigan, I believe, at the, at the time, and, and then playing against each other. And all I think these he, years. he calls that the Notre Dame of the Midwest, doesn't he? Something like that. Or? Yeah, he, he has a lot of needs for a lot of things, <laughs> <laughs> as as you know. Uh, but uh, uh, for for me, it's it's the journey, it's the people, and and the interaction. And, and the game brings out the best in all of us. And, and I will tell you that when anyone talks about the game of hockey. And people in hockey, they just talk about that humility. Yeah. And for all three groups, that that humility brings them together. And, and but it starts with leadership, certainly at the National Hockey League level, uh, and, and at the NHLPA. You know what, we're at our best when we're together. And I think that that's what uh, your Glenn's leadership and certainly leadership of the NHL, PA. It makes made huge strides, but there's still more strides to be. I'm just trying to figure out the first time we met. I believe you were playing. For Glenn Say, they're in Edmonton. Yes. For the Edmonton Oilers on the way to a Stanley Cup in 1990. Um, uh, Slats is a, has become a great friend over the years. But when you speak about leadership, what, what, what did Glenn Sather teach you? Well, Glenn, Glenn Sather is one of my favorite people in, in hockey. Uh, as you know, because you're a good friend with him, he does so many quiet things that you never see. And he cares for so many people. Uh, when you talk about the success he's had in the game, but 
like literally for six decades of, of excellence of it, just so much respect. Mm-hmm. And I, I was obviously played for him. And he was the only manager. Right. The manager. John Mockler was the coach. Yes. But then you fast forward it in Edmonton and then working alongside in the last 20 years in Edmonton. It's been a gift. And, and what I will tell you is not only the players on the ice, but the, the people within uh, the organization and staff, he just has a way of bringing people together and, and making everyone feel important, accountable, important. But he has a way of touching everyone. And, and uh, quite frankly, the last 20 years, I've grown to admire him so much. You know, just a, a special man, as, as yeah. you know, and someone that uh, is one of the greats of the game. So in 1990, um, I think there was only one game that year that the lights went out in Boston. <laughs> and then, then uh, the late Peter Klima, who just passed away this summer, um, scored that goal, I think, in triple overtime. Were you on the ice? I was not on the ice. I watched it. Uh, and certainly, uh, as you talk about with Peter Klima, I was fortunate enough to be his teammate in Detroit. And Edmonton, and we all uh, reflected on that loss. It was a tremendous loss and someone that uh, we had a lot of fun and obviously we had a championship. We had a lot of uh, and that was he, he he would tell you he had actually loosened his skates yeah. uh, you know almost to the point it, i think he only had point. three shifts all game yes. at that point right but it goes to the point that's the special part of hockey at some point when you're part of a, a championship team everyone has to contribute in some way your block shot can be a hit it can be, you, you just don't know and certainly in that situation, Peter Freeman came up with one of the biggest goals in national hockey league history. And, and I'll never forget it, you know, cutting across right shot and you had the stripes on the stick yeah. and put it between Andy Moe's legs. Andy doesn't like to bring that. I, I, I'll see Andy in Penticton in a couple of weeks. I won't bring it up. <laughs> um, the, the other thing was, so you won that cup um, and Mess lifting the, the trophy up in uh, at, uh, at Boston Garden. And then you saw Mark lift it up again in 1994. Had to be a, a different feeling winning on the road than at home, right? Yeah, and both are, are special in their own in their own way. Certainly in Boston, my mom and dad drove down that day. In fact, I saw them on my way into the building. Just got up, they just got out of the car, whatever it was, twelve hour drive. I'm not sure what that and I'll never forget after the game, there was actually there was ten seconds left. I often say this, but you had the leather benches in Boston. I was standing at the bench looking for them. And because I was one of the younger guys in the team, one of the kids, no. they their seats happened to be behind one of the pillars, so I couldn't see them. <laughs> so, anyways, they they watched the game uh, around the pillar and found them. And then uh, my mom and dad came down, drank out of the cup. I remember my dad at the restaurant uh, in the back kitchen with an apron on cooking. And uh, but that was that was the uniqueness and the special part of being part of a, every team, but certainly right. championship team was just how close you were, family and, and Mark. And that was such a, a big component of the locker room was for family too. And that's extended them. So I, I'll never forget, we talked with our own family where they'd come down to New York and they'd be watching TSN in the morning. And so today, I was kidding. I said, here's the evolution of hockey. You started with donuts, Timmy's donuts and yeah. Tim bits and muffins. And then you moved and you had some egg and some protein in that. And then at the end of the table, they had uh, the, the, uh, Protein drinks. I said that's the the eighties, the nineties, the two thousand, <laughs> down the modern day, all on a table at breakfast. So, and that's why Glenn is so representative of. Here we go of everything uh, we do. You do have a you do have a caddy with you right now. Yeah. Say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Can we have room for another trophy? You got to get in behind me here. We got the Masterton and the King Clancy. 
We couldn't get the cup here for gravy, but I thought I thought I'd bring all the trophies. You have to take this stuff. Where, where's Where's my trophy for for being his buddy for? No, that's 30, a, no, no, you know that is, That's one of those participation awards. <laughs> <laughs> Started in Literally, Russia. That's thirty nine years. Wow. Started in Russia. Thirty nine years. He was twelve. I was thirty two. <laughs> I asked him at the top of the show how many games he started in that ninety four season in the playoffs and. He didn't really. Oh. He didn't really respond very quickly. Well, Keenan is the coach. I finished every one of them. Hey, <laughs> I will tell you that I've never laughed more in a season of hockey than that particular year. Guys couldn't wait to get to the to the, the rink every day. It was just it was remember where that season started too. Right? Yes, in London, uh, London yeah, England, right? in, in the mustard, uh, the French's, the French's mustard, mustard, yeah. mustard yeah. Cup. I'll never forget. That. And they needed to go over to the uh, uh, to, to the swap meet. Make it quick. Door. This thing's heavy <laughs> you can go now <laughs> they has got the bagpipes you should be able to hold that exactly. i know they actually had to go next door to the uh to the flea market to buy a trophy because they forgot the trophy at the hotel i think isn't that right Glenn? and it didn't look like this one i can tell you so uh, listen adam thank you very much uh, by the way how are the rangers going to be this you know what i i really think that this team nothing's linear there's ups and downs to everything and i think it's uh although with the signing of Wheeler, the gut, you know, as far as age is concerned, but I still think they're very young. Uh, I think those signings are, are going to be very beneficial moving into the season when you have Shesterkin, the net, and then quick. Right. Yeah, they give you a chance to win every night. This young defense is going to get get better surrounded, you know, with Fox and Truba. I think they have to look at I'm excited for this review, too. Thanks for this, Adam. Yeah, please. Always a pleasure. Thank you. From Adam Graves, captain of the New York Rangers, to Doug Gilmore, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. How are you, man? I'm good, John. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming. Well, it's my pleasure. They gave me lots of notice. They called me about four days ago, so <laughs> it worked <laughs> you, it in my you, schedule. You, you, work, you work better on short notice anyway. Yeah, probably, probably. So, so just, uh, you know, after your career, just what does the alumni mean to you? What does this group mean to you? Oh, I think it's everything. Um, you know, we're here to help other players and um, do a lot of fundraising for charities. And, um, you know, for us, as the retired guys, for me, it's 20 years. And uh, just to be a part of this, and, you know, the deals is great. And, you know, these players take over everything. Um, they do a lot for, like, personally for me as well. So it's uh, something that, uh, you know, I've come here just to give back and, and again, just keep uh, raising money for who needs it. So, uh, truth be told, folks, Doug Gilmore and I were neighbors when we lived way back in Calgary. So there's lots of stars I can't tell. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I, I, I was cleaning out my closet the other day, and um, uh, I was cataloging all my hockey sweaters. And I found a Kingston Frontenac sweater that you were kind enough to give me with uh, number one with my name on the back. Your your time in Kingston as coach as manager with. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy junior hockey? Yeah, he was kind of out of the blue how it happened because I was with the Toronto Marlins, uh, Greg Gilbert and uh, Patterson and as an assistant coach. So I had a call, like a, I don't know, or no, it was uh, yeah, probably like November 2nd or something like that. Eight o'clock in the morning on, on the way down the practice rink, and uh, Larry Mavity said, uh, Hey, we want you. So I Went to Greg Gilbert, talked to him, went back down to the office, at least, right. and Cliff Felcher was there, and I said, this is what just happened, and uh, went back to the rink, said bye to the players, which was unfortunate, because I played against some 
right now. They're well, good, good kids. And I happened to uh, take the job as a coach for the Toronto Next. So I did that for three years. And then um, pretty much six years as a GM. Right. Uh, I like both sides. The hardest thing about the job is cutting kids. Because, you know, their dream was the same as my dream. Uh, I know it's a reality, but at the same time, it's, uh, it was great. You know, a lot of players still call me coach. And it's uh, it's really rewarding, John, when the kids, uh, you know, you know the kids that are going to make it, the other kids that aren't going to make it, but they take their school package right. and, uh, you know, get ready for the next stage of their lives. And it's something that, uh, that's a rewarding side. When you see kids that came from nothing and then they had that opportunity to do something. Did you ever envision yourself being a coach at any point in your career? Uh, <laughs> Not really, not really. But you know, I took you know, four or five years off from hockey, like, like completely out, complete, complete. Yeah. Just became a, like a fan. You know, I was working with my boys and stuff, and then you know, Cliff came over and said, "Do you want to do player development?" So I kind of got into that, and it just uh, it kind of progressed where the closest to being a hockey player is coaching. You know, you're in the dressing room. Do things and see things, and you see things that guys like Pat Burns were trying to implement that before a game that you guys aren't ready. And as a player, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, he did because I was in that position, and I knew when guys were ready or they weren't ready. You you can't tell me that it's easier to be a coach than it is a player, is it? No, it's easier to be a player. Hundred Yeah, I think you know. For me, it took me at least a month, month and a half to get adjusted to my own team and the league. So I had to rely on my assistant coaches. Um, okay, who's who's your best player? Right. What's the second line? What's, so, uh, again, I, I did not want to do what other coaches did. Right. Meaning, I'm not going to yell at this. It's not who I am. That's not my personality. But the only way that you get through to it, if you don't work hard, and you're going to practice it. But again, I was never there to yell at a kid. A lot of chance. Before, I, I want to talk about your career as an NHLer, but uh, just top of my head, Sam Bennett, Lawson Krause. Yeah, you had both those kids? Yes, and Jason Robertson. And Jason Robertson. Jason Robertson was actually a fifth-round pick by our team. Wow. And, you know, he was a little out of shape at the time when he was a kid. And, uh, but, you know, we'd go to the OHL Cup and, and all the tournaments during the year. And so the OHL Cup was kind of the last tournament before we get ready for the draft. And he really didn't do anything. But you look at the score sheet, he had a goal and three assists that we didn't even He's notice. still doing it, by the way. 100%. And that's how, how smart he is and how good he is. And he's he's puck hungry. And uh, he knows how to score. Did you know that Bennett would be this tough as a as an yeah. NHLer? Because he, 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 was a, he was a real scorer when he played. In, in, for the front. Yeah, so, but we keep, brought him in as a 16-year-old. And, uh, he was getting involved with guys he shouldn't have been involved, right. but he did. And you could tell the skill that he had, the compete level that he had, and it's something that's uh, just a matter of time. I know, you know, GM from Kingston, um, as far as Kingston material boy, right. Bob Murray. Right, sure. And Bob called me at the draft and said, said, you get a chance to get it. Get it. And then, it was just a matter of time that he was going to break out. Mm-hmm. What a, a fantastic year. So, yeah, I, I, because I, I remember watching as a junior thinking that 
you know, I, I now I mean he's one of the toughest guys in the game, and oh. play, he plays such a hard game. Yeah, he's, he's not a big body. I, no, when you see him on the ice, he's got the sloping shoulders, and, and but he's got the mental fortitude, right? Yeah, but you put the helmet on, and you know, guys know you're out there, right. and that's a added value to get the puck and, and uh, to to succeed in, in this game. So uh, you mentioned Cliff Fletcher's name. So that you and I connected with our time in Calgary when Cliff traded for you. Yeah. Um, what was you had been in St. Louis um, five years for five years? I mean, the great. I, I now you can confirm this or not. Everybody was watching Cornwall play because Dale Howardchuck played on that team, and it just so happened you were on the same team. Is that fair? That's fair because uh, the year before. I got there in my draft year. Dan Davo was a captain. And, uh, they had Mark Crawford, uh, Scotty O'Neill. Pretty good teams. Dale Howard, yeah. Uh, Dave Ezer was on the team of the Fets at that time. But I came in next year. Uh, I drafted as a defenseman, but uh, I was 138 pounds, and they moved me to center. So uh, I played against Dale growing up. You know, we were the same age. And uh, so I, I knew him, uh, just how he developed real quick. And... Uh, so we won the Memorial Cup that year. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. That, so you did three lines of the team the new year. They go over as Team Canada and you get another line from Quebec League we ran at a time and defensemen. So it would be five guys plus a goalie that you bring with you as the World Juniors. Right. So that's the last, that, we did so well. That's the last year they ever sent teams over. Wow. <laughs> I remember Peterborough went before that, but yeah. you guys were after that. I guess yeah. as Memorial Cup champions? Yes. Right. And then we did so well that uh, they said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> you need to create some competition. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, I just back to Cliff. What, what what does Cliff mean to you in your career and getting into Calgary? Yeah, I think just uh, our team in Calgary um, was unfortunately kind of torn apart when uh, slowly the Cliff left. Right. And otherwise, Thought we would have had a pretty good team for many years to come, and more. I believe we had more uh, championships. So, saying that, things uh, I knew it was going to get traded. It's a long story, but but, it, but but even before that, like like th there were years that you were the second best team in the province, and you were a great team. Yeah, that was half your problem. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. other that guy up the street was pretty good. Yeah, no, for sure, but. At the same time, it's just something that uh, I knew I was going to get traded, and um, I, you know, I heard it myself, and it was just one of those things, John. That uh, I said, "Okay, I got to go." Yeah. And uh, so New Year's Eve, we played Montreal, we won, and then we had a team party, and that's when I told the team party guys, "I'm gone. I'm going to go skate with Team Canada in Calgary." Right. And uh, I saw Doug Risebro. Uh, January 1st, and he said, well, if you walk now, I'm trading. So, obviously, I knew I was getting traded. I got uh, a phone call the next day. You've been traded. I said, okay, thanks. But didn't tell me who. And, uh, Rick Romsley called me. Hey, you traded? I said, yeah, I was traded. Where are we going? And he goes, Toronto. I said, okay, I'm packed. Let's go. Not a bad spot. Yeah, no, it was great. You know, the, the, the interesting thing about that, so the 93 team and the 94 team, uh, um, you know, the 93 team uh, was, I mean, everybody had been dreaming because you guys are still in the Western Conference. Everybody had yeah. been dreaming of the Toronto-Montreal Stanley Cup final. Yeah. 
That would have been pretty did, cool. Did, did you guys lost to LA in the in the conference final? Was it ever a distraction thinking about the next round? Did you ever? Did it ever get to the point where you said, "I wish it could be Montreal"? No, we don't look ahead that way. But um, so disappointing that we. Uh, I was pissed that we lost to LA. Yeah, and uh, I have a good friend in Montreal, Chris Muller. <laughs> So I've heard of him. I heard of him. I was cheering for uh, Montreal. Well, and it, and let's face it, our, our Glenn Healy's goaltending for the Islanders, they beat Pittsburgh. Yeah. And the people, you know, and then it ended up being, you know, Montreal getting through because Pittsburgh was on the should have won three cups in a row yeah. with that team, right? No, exactly. Exactly. And and, and you, then all of a sudden, you guys are. No, don't worry. We'll we'll get you back with your we'll get you back with your team. We okay. have a, we have a private car. I see you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Doug's all worried that his foursome's left him <laughs> because we're, we're sitting here talking. They got my wallet. They got everything. <laughs> well, if it's your if your wallet's anything like mine, there's nothing in it anyway. Oh uh, yeah, I left that card at home. Sorry, wife has it. <laughs> so I I just the two the two conference finals. It's amazing. Just before we let you go, it's amazing that the the shelf life. Of that team in this city, when you think about it, is that you know Pat Quinn's team's got to a conference final, but people still revere the team that you played on in '93 and '94 like there was nothing other than riding the riding horses down Young Street, right? Yeah, that was uh, great leadership, you know, from your coaching staff. Um, you got Felino, uh, Bruce Linsky, uh, Bob Rouse, Jimmy Town. The, the list goes on and. And then we, you know, we had a new young guy come in, uh, Nikki Wojcicki, and then you had the character guys too, like the Wendell, and, and the grit, the meanness, and and he could score. Guys like Todd Veal, Dave Ellis, again, the fans and the leadership. And the nice thing about it is we all, we all liked each other. And then you had one line out there: Peter Zezel, Bill Bird, Mark Osborne. I wouldn't go play against them. They're they're hacks, they're whacks, <laughs> and they. Uh, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah. But uh that's one thing when before Pat Burns died and he was going through his cancer, but he came we all got together in the ninety three team. And uh he's, even though he won a cup in Jersey, he was just my favorite team. Mm-hmm. So. That's amazing. I, I, I every year you see the Stanley Cup given out and every year the one thing that every team talks about is how much they like each other. And that's so much important when you're going through four rounds of playoff and success. You know, when um, I remember when Darby Henderson came in to play in Toronto and, and I got to talk to him. You know what your job is? Your job is to take my job. Not saying I'm going to let you, but that's that's yeah. your job, is to take my job. And that's how you work with everybody. You want if they get better, we get better. So. Fantastic. Dougie, thanks for this. Good to see you, man. Doug Gilmore, McCallum Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back. Thanks for a special day at the Coppinwell Golf Course at the NHL Alumni Golf Tournament. There are so many great players to talk about. We might even do a second show here, but let me just say that the, the one thing about these guys is as they've aged, they understand their responsibilities to each other and they understand the abilities to talk about what great careers they had. Tomorrow, Dave Hodge joins us as co-host, and we talk to John Davidson about life in the broadcast booth. Hodge and Davidson tomorrow on the podcast. Back tomorrow. Talk to you soon.